Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. So thankful that you're tuning into another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I pray that you've been blessed. I pray that as you've been listening to these podcasts, that you've been growing spiritually. And before we dive right back into Luke chapter 16, I just want to say that our purpose of why we gather to do this is to become more like Jesus. Stop and think about that. Think about the amount of time that you invest in something. What is it that occupies most of your time or a lot of your time during the day? You know, recently I was watching a YouTuber and they were discussing the effects that social media has had on their life and kind of looked at some anecdotal stuff and was was talking about it. And one of the things that they were bringing up personally is how they started to get so consumed in social media and looking at what people are saying about whatever they posted, you know, 10 minutes ago or what they're saying about whatever's latest in the news. And when they're looking at their screen time, it was exceeding four hours a day. And this is a person that was running a company, but they realized that their people in their business were falling apart because they weren't present. Now they may have been in the office, but they were spending too much time on social media in their office that they weren't getting out there and getting things done. And a lot of times people are wondering, they're here, but what are they doing? They're not making decisions. They're very distracted. They're in meetings. Matter of fact, recently when I was having a discussion on some Christian things and one of the pastors that was in the meeting probably looked at their phone 20 different times within a span of an hour and a half. And so just showing that a lot of people are not present. And so I just want to make sure when it comes to my life and encouraging all my listeners here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast, that when we take this time to open the pages of God's word, that we're present. And you know, one thing has helped me to be present is knowing that his presence is all around me, that God wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with me. So as we spend this time together, I pray that we will be enriched. I pray that we will take it more seriously in our lives and not be distracted by things that at the end of the day, you're thinking, what is it really doing to help me? How's it drawing me closer to my God? And how's it drawing me closer to the people around me that God has called me to serve? And so as we spend this time, it's not just for head knowledge to learn about things in the Bible but to take what we learn and to apply it. So as always, if you have a question, please shoot me an email at info at standstrongministries.org. I would love to hear from you. And as always, if you've missed any previous podcasts, go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcasts. All the archives with my notes are there. We're on iTunes, Google Play, other platforms. So I pray that you would also be taking this podcast. And man, I would just encourage you, share it with your church, your pastor, your friends, family. If you're in a small group, accountability group, let them know about Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I mean, after the Gospels, when we go through the chronological, we're going to continue a chronological teaching in the New Testament, and then we're going to take our focus and put it into the Old Testament. So within the matter of hopefully a few years, we'll have a chronological teaching here on the podcast of the Word of God, because that's ultimately 
what we're about here is for you to stand strong in the truth and faithfulness of God's word. So with that being said, we jump right back into Luke chapter 16. So again, last time in the podcast, on podcast 79, we talked about that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, and what that means. Remember in verses 1 through 13, Jesus talked about a parable of the dishonest steward. And one of the key things that we looked at uh, was that what, what, what you and I have, and this was the parable of the lesson of the, of, of the steward, the dishonest steward, what you and I have does not belong to us. We don't own it. We oftentimes do. And we think about even as a Christian, how sometimes we can be so consumed or materialistic or possessive of things in our lives. And the bottom line is everything that we have, we talked about this, remember? Everything that we have has been given on loan from God. And you and I are to take what God has given us as wise stewards of these possessions, whatever it is, talents, money, resources, could be a business. You could be pretty smart in something. You can have some connections, whatever these possessions are, but we're to take these in a way that honors God, that expands his kingdom. And we looked at Luke 16, verse 10, that famous verse, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And the simple truth, yet a very profound truth is that God expects faithfulness in both big things and in small things. Then we looked at the covetousness. Remember, he confronts the covetousness of the religious leaders because in verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. See, that was where their heart was. They didn't care to pursue Jesus as the truth because he said in verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John, since the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of law to become void. So if the Pharisees truly were living out the Jewish scriptures, they would have accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah because John the Baptist, who was a prophet, had declared him as the Messiah and they rejected it. Why? Because at the heart of all religious leaders at that time in Jesus' time that were running the Sanhedrin, they were covetous. And now what Jesus does, and this is kind of like a part two because it's within the same flow of teaching. In verses 19 through 31, Jesus now talks about a rich man and he talks about Lazarus. Now you'll oftentimes hear, whether it be in a commentary or or from a pastor, that this is a parable. I don't really think it is for several reasons. Number one, the fact that Jesus refers to this poor man in name as Lazarus and does not mention the rich man, which I think was intentional because in that, in that culture, I, I guarantee when they were listening, particularly the Pharisees, that Jesus was mentioning the difference between a poor man and a rich man. He names the poor man, but not the rich man. That was insulting. It was customary to refer to the people of wealth because remember the significance of someone being wealthy was God's blessing on them. Someone who was poor was God's condemnation on them. And so I think that this is a real life story because ultimately the reality is there is a heaven and there is a hell. So let's jump right here into verse 19 and kind of go through the flow of this story because I know with it comes a lot of confusion about Abraham's bosom. Where did the rich man go? What's it like today, etc. So verse 19 says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. That literally just means uh, ambulance or flamboyance. 
So what Jesus does now is he immediately goes from telling these parables to telling a true story about a rich man who lived a very unrighteous, flamboyant life. So the degree here is not just the purple, the colors, and the flamboyancy, but think of the the rich and famous, you know, just really gaudy, just totally over the top. And that's the picture that he gives, which again is reflection of the Pharisees. Before the parable, the dishonest steward exposed the shrewdness of the Pharisees. And now he uses this rich man to mark their coming damnation for all eternity. So in verse 20 now says, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. The name is Eleazar, which just means God helps. And he was covered with sores. There were these ulcers all over his body. So if you notice in verse 19, Jesus gives this colorful description of this rich man, how he lived right over the top. Then in verse 20, he gives this description of this poor man named Lazarus, who is so sick and living in pain. And it says, verse 21, who desired, who longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs, meaning even the unclean animals came and they licked his sores. So again, you have this rich man. And then on the other hand, you have this poor sick man, Lazarus, who's outside the gate. So so the rich man is inside the gate, living in comfort and having all the food that he can ever want. And outside the gate, you have this man who's begging for any type of food, even the things that are being discarded. And he's looking for comfort but he is in discomfort. So Lazarus' situation was so bad that his oozing wounds became food for the dogs. And so it's very clear, based on what Jesus is saying in these three verses, that the rich man had no desire to help alleviate Lazarus' bad condition. In verse 22, Jesus continues to say, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, it just literally means a temporal place of torment until judgment. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off in Lazarus at his side. Now notice the role reversals. So we talked about the descriptions between the two and the contrast between them. And now there's the contrast for all eternity between the rich man who was buried and his life was honored, but then he ends up in a place of torment, which is not hell. And this poor man, Lazarus, who was, who received probably no burial, but is ushered into heaven to Abraham's bosom, which means paradise, a state of bless, blessedness. So that's the contrast. Now, John Martin wrote a commentary of Luke in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's the exposition of scripture. And he says here, Hades, the Greek word often translated hell, is used 11 times in the New Testament. The Septuagint used Hades to translate the Hebrew Seol, which means the place of the dead, on 61 occasions. Here, Hades refers to the abode of the unsaved dead prior to the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Abraham's side apparently refers to a place of paradise for Old Testament believers at the time of death. You can cross-reference this in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and 2 Corinthians 12, verse 3, end quote. So that kind of gives you an abbreviation of what we're talking about, in this case, what Jesus is laying out in front of the people about Hades and Abraham's bosom. Now, I want to say this as well. 
that Abraham's bosom, I believe, is mentioned as Abraham because it's like we say, Father Abraham, that we are his begotten children because of his obedience, because of his faithfulness. You see this in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4, that God was going to establish a great people, not just the Jews, but people who would eventually hear about the Messiah, we as Gentiles. And so I think that he's just depicting paradise in that way by using that type of language to the audience that he was speaking to that were Jewish. Now remember, Hades then, when you're looking at this context here in Luke 16, is the first death. Because in Revelation 20, 13 through 15, when John received a revelation of the second death, he was talking about final judgment of the wicked to come. Because the passage says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the bodies of the unbelievers, based on what we're taking in Luke chapter 16 and Revelation 20, the bodies of the unbelievers will be resurrected from Hades and will appear before the great white throne judgment to be sentenced, notice, and when we looked at Revelation 20, who will be sentenced to the lake of fire. That is the permanent place. So when Jesus is giving this story where the rich man went prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, he went to Hades, which was a temporal place of torment. And even in Greek in the passage here, Luke 16, that's what it, how it occurs. And so we know that the time will come when Hades will give up the dead, the, the, the people who died first, and they will enter a second death because they will enter the lake of fire, which is the permanent place of suffering for all eternity. Now, another thing that's interesting to point out here is in Proverbs 22, verse 2, and I think this kind of opens the door of kind of this illusory message that's also being conveyed here in Luke 16. Now, I'm not saying it's parabolical, but what I'm saying is that in a figurative way that kind of spells out something that was put here in the book of Proverbs. It says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And I kind of believe in a way that this, this interaction, and we're going to continue to see as the rich man has this conversation with Abraham, that even in their respective places where they go, in this case, the rich man members in a place of torment and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise and comfort and blessedness, that they're still this interaction between them because the Lord is the maker of them all. And they in faith, the ones who are in Abraham's bosom, received the blessings of God and, and walked in obedience. And those who rejected God, they chose to put their faith, if you will, in themselves. And so now in verse 24, it says he called out. So notice the knowledge and the ability of this rich man calling out to Father Abraham. Now remember, Abraham can't save, but it's who he represents. He represents God. He represents God's blessings and God's promises. Remember, Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans. There were other deities. And Abram at the time, before his name was changed, he believed in the one true living God. And notice the rich man says to Father Abraham, have mercy, meaning show kindness to someone in serious need on me. And sin Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish, meaning I'm suffering greatly in this flame. So if you notice that this rich man is fully conscious, fully aware after his death, 
And he's able to communicate to Abraham and he's seeking for Abraham's help. And if you think about it, when did he ever ask for this type of help on earth? And when did he ever care about Lazarus? Now, all of a sudden, Lazarus has something that the rich man lacks. Of course, he's not rich any longer in this place of torment. But now he needs the help of Lazarus when he never helped him in the first place. Now, I want to point out also that in this communication, even though it reveals consciousness, therefore, it does not mean in any way, shape, or form that when people pass into heaven or Hades, that they enter a soul sleep. No, they are fully responsive and have total remembrance of their earthly life. I mean, what justice or injustice would that imply then if in fact they couldn't remember of their previous life and it was that previous life that determined where they end for all eternity? Another thing that's so insightful about this conversation is again, remember the colorful language that's used about how the rich man lived his life on earth, right? To the fullest in terms of desire and debauchery. And yet this phrase, dip the end of his finger, he is pleading for just a little. So Lazarus had next to nothing when the rich man had more than he can ever desire. And now the tables have been turned and Lazarus seems to have everything. And what the rich man is pleading for is just a little bit of that comfort. And wasn't that what Lazarus was seeking? Just a little bit of food? So the condemned man, this rich man, he asked to be comforted by the one person he refused to comfort on earth. Now, it's not clear whether the rich man, this condemned man, uh, that his request, you know, is sincere or that he's still coming from a spirit of entitlement. We don't know that. But notice in verse 25, but Abraham says, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So Abraham reminds the condemned man that he had everything on earth and yet he squandered it. Remember, go back to the parable of the dishonest steward. He neglected to take what God had given him and to use it not just for his own comfort, for his own indulgement, but to use it to help people who need it on earth. He lived to feed his greed, period. Now, in verse 26, it says, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Now, this description is interesting, but it just, I think, essentially just reveals the eternalness of the afterlife, meaning it's impossible, even though there's communication, uh, communication even though there's this conscious ability, and even though there's this desire because again, if you notice, the rich man never argued why he should be there. He knows consciously of his his previous life on earth, and he knows consciously that he deserves whatever torment he's receiving because of his rejection of God, right? But I think also that Abraham's letting him know that there is no second chances when it comes to all eternity. And I think that's what the chasm more or less represents now whether you want to get into the elements of talking like fifth dimension and the spiritual realm and where heaven and Hades literally are and where the lake of fire is going to be for all eternity. I'm not here to discuss that right now. Uh, but again, if you have a question, again, shoot me an email info at stanstrongministry.org. We can talk a little bit more about it. But for our time's sake now here on the podcast, I think that it just emphasizes the separation, that there's no way of crossing over. 
Now, verse 27 says, and he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So notice that he shows regret, right, in Hades, and he pleads for someone in heaven, if you will, to help his family see the truth. So that says that, you know, when you think of, when we talk about a lot of people today who reject God, you oftentimes, we often, you know, here in America, especially look into their family life. Well, were you raised in a Christian home or did you come from a non-religious back or whatever? And this is almost like implying that there is that this man grew up in a family where they all reject the truth just like he did. So they probably were all wealthy and they cared more about their riches than the rich, you know, spiritual uh, life that they could have in God. So during his life on earth, you remember he condemned, he didn't show any compassion for the poor. He had no concern for the eternal state of his family. However, now, of course, he is concerned about it because he's living it. It's been actualized. Literally, his eyes have been opened to what awaits his brothers, his family. And if they were to die and they don't repent, they're going to end up where he is. But Abraham says in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the condemned man is reminded that everyone on earth has been given enough proof to believe. You see, that's, even as an apologist, I don't think that it's a lack of evidence. You oftentimes hear that. It's a lack of belief in the evidence. That's what we need to be reminded of because you and I can't force or coerce someone against their will. If they, re, if they refuse to believe, no matter what you tell them, no matter what you show them, that's their prerogative. That's their free will being exercised. And God, who's a just good God, cannot force them to do things contrary to what they want to do. And I think the big takeaway in this story between the rich man and Lazarus, because we can oftentimes get so fixated on Abraham's bosom and what does this term mean here for hell and blah, 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 this and that. And that's important. That's why we kind of touched on it today. But I think the big message here is do not end up like the rich man. Don't live for yourself. And so if we were to take the whole context of Luke chapter 16 is do not let your covetous heart rule the day. Do not be so consumed with the things of this world that you lose sight of all eternity with God. Be like Lazarus in a sense. Be an honest steward. Be faithful with what God has given you and you'll be faithful over much. And I just pray that when you look around, that you'll be sensitive to the people who maybe are rejecting the gospel. Maybe you've been rejecting them because they've been rejecting the gospel and you're having a little impact in the life not because of them, not because of their disbelief per se, but because of your lack of faith in God to use you to help them believe. Remember, we can't force them to believe, but I do believe, my friends, that there's a lot of things that we could be doing more in certain relationships, and we have to trust God with that. I love you, my friends. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.